The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Uh, Hopefully, you've gotten a chance to dive into some of our rule changes that uh, we laid out for you on Monday's show. Got a lot of good response. They all seem to fall into some categories. So if we mobilize, I think we've got a broad Cover 3 coalition, and I think we can cause real change with our policy uh, in terms of things, especially when it comes to the targeting call, uh, especially when it comes to the instant replay review, ineligible uh, receiver downfield, we, we've really come together. We've bridged, we, we, we built some bridges across the college football community. We will work on that. Uh, Tom, I believe we read most of your suggestions on uh, on the air, but no, you that, didn't. You I didn't. Oh, my suggestions. What else? What else? What we miss? Typical to take one show off and they act like I don't even exist. The I uh, you guys well, you guys went over all the targeting stuff, which is one of my things, but also with the illegal man downfield stuff being called that was one of his. Bud mentioned uh, my idea for field goals of fifty yards or more being worth four points. I like that idea simply because of the kind of strategy it might add to late game situations, and it gives coaches another chance to look really dumb which I think everybody always enjoys when watching games on Saturdays. But another one of mine uh, was the fumble into the end zone rule. Mm. Instead of giving the ball to the defense, just make it kind of like another touchback where unless the defense recovers the ball, the offense keeps it. They just get pushed back to the 25 yard line. And then another was one I've always railed on about pass interference. Just get rid of pass interference. Call a legal contact or holding. Those are clearly defined rules. Pass interference is too nebulous at times, like guys bumping into each other while running at full speed down the field. That's crap. Get rid of it. Stop putting so much on the rest plate. Make it easy for them to figure out. And then another one I liked was kind of like a reward for the defense that I thought could be interesting for games. You're not allowed on offense to go for it on fourth down unless you've already picked up a first down on the drive or you're inside your opponent's 40 yard line, or maybe if it's like the last five minutes of a game, just for the, uh, you know, to, to, to help comebacks happen. And I, cause I think that that, you know, you reward your defense a little bit if they're able to get a three and out 
And then I was also another one I didn't mention in the thread, but another one I thought about, which is kind of like a dumb fantasy football score that I think could be fun. If you get a fourth down stop, like on a fourth and goal, the team, the, the defense that gets the stop gets two points. Two points? Yeah. What's any logic behind the two? Uh, well, it's kind of like a safety that way. I just feel like mm. it shouldn't be too much because you, the offense that did not score has already lost quite a bit by not scoring. Right. But I just think that that kind of adds like an entirely new element to the decision-making process too. Like, okay, it's fourth and goal. I'm going for it because I need the touchdown. But there's that added risk element. Like if I don't get it, this is like an eight-point swing all of a sudden. Because there's no risk when you say they're going to have to march 98 yards. They're not no risk, obviously. I mean, you're trying to score a touchdown. You've got points that are lost with that opportunity. But you're adding in the... uh, the idea that you could end up giving up points as well. Yeah, I just think it, it adds it adds new elements that I think create more interesting situations that it kind of, you know, just puts a little more at risk for everybody involved. So, Tom, I, I guess I have one question for you on, on this. If you eliminate pass interference and you go with just illegal contact, defensive holding, are you making those more punitive? Like, is there any way you can get a 15-yard foul? Because if, if I know that, like, the idea – of defensive holding or illegal contact is taken out of the game as a defensive coordinator, I'm going to tell my guys to hold the hell out of you because it's only a five yarder and a first down as opposed to a 15 yarder, right? Like that yeah. to me, you see what I'm saying? Like I I'm going to legal contact the hell out of you. Yeah. I think you could switch it to like, that's still a 15 yard penalty and an automatic first down, but I just want to get rid of the pass interference that, like I said, it's two guys, 20 yards downfield running at full speed and the pass is underthrown. So they bump hips, slowing down to get to the ball, and then it's a penalty on the defense. I hate that. That is crap. Now, if you want, like, yeah, if you want to make the holding and the illegal contact more punitive, add 10, 15 yards to it, that makes plenty of sense to me, too. It's just get rid of the judgment calls, make it clear. All right. My only other follow up to yours, and I, I actually like most of yours. How often is this? Like this team is going to go for fourth down despite the fact they didn't get a first down on on their drive, and it's not the last couple minutes of the game situation uh, or last couple minutes of the half. Like, how often is that occurring? Like, is there a specific example of this happening that 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 bugged you or thought you was like like made you think it was inequitable? Like, am I missing something here? Is this happening a lot? No, it does. It's not that it happens a lot. I just think it's a reward for the defense that if you know the when you come on the field, if you get a three and out. They have to punt. Okay. Because, I mean, it's every single rule, if you look at the rule changes for the last billion years at this point, every single one has been to help the offense. I want to I want to throw the defense a bone. I want to give them a little reward. I also think that, you know, talked about before the show, I've got like a fan, I got to do a mock draft for CBS Sports. Or we're doing a dynasty at foot fantasy football mock draft. I also think for fantasy football leagues, we should add a scoring to where, you know, like you, you have team defenses and special teams and mm-hmm. you get points for sacks and all that stuff. We should add it where you get points for three and outs too. Mm. Mm. See, so as long as you've got the crunch time, people are listening. Now, I, as long as you're keeping the crunch time alive, then I'm cool with it because I love the drives where the quarterback has like three fourth down conversions marching down the field. I mean, that is uh, as a fan of the defense, you are pulling your hair out and screaming. You cannot believe that you've just gotten beat on a bunch of fourth downs. And if you're on offense, I mean, that's just a roller coaster right there to be able to go through that. As long as you've got the crunch time scenario, then I think that the fan experience is still strong with that. You don't want to eliminate that. 
Yeah, I got you. All right, business for today. We are in one of a couple different windows within the the transfer, the off-season transfer portal, the off-season transfer movement. Um, this is going to be one. It's, it's sort of come to a close. We're going to have another little window that opens up. It's, it's not uh, shout out to all of our uh, soccer and football listeners out there. This is not a actual transfer window, though it has sort of become like that since we get a little bit of movement at the end of the season before spring practice. We will likely get uh, more movement after spring practice, particularly as we go into uh, the summer parts of the offseason as some players make some movement uh, in order to try to get in for the fall semester, maybe even get on campus for some summer classes as well. So we are a couple years into the transfer portal era, and I I went back and uh, I remember that our, our very first episode talking about this when it first started was like, welcome to the portal. And we couldn't get over the fact that it was called the portal. It just seemed uh, like very science fiction to us. And I I think it speaks to how quickly it's become normalized that I don't even think it's weird anymore. It's just kind of part of my lexicon. And the fact that within college football programs and coaching staffs, there are coaches who are in charge of uh, keeping their eyes on the portal Uh, Every insider at 24-7 Sports has a staffer who they've got the login for so that we've got all the information on the transfer portal. It seems allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. I'll let Bud address that. But uh, to get things started, like... Are you? Are, are there any surprises from when the the transfer portal really became a part of our lives in co- in college football and sort of where we are now? Has any of it um, surprised you at all? Uh, <clears throat> no. I mean, I I, I think that this, it's to the point. It's to this point. It's kind of what we thought it was going to be. I think it just it's designed to make it easier for players who want to transfer to give them an avenue to do that. And I think that one of the side effects of that, which was easy to foresee, was that while it's easier for plenty of kids to transfer, it's also going to lead likely to more kids making the decision to transfer if it's easier to do. And I do worry about that in the long term because it's like if you look in the portal right now, and again, we don't have direct access to it, but you know, 24-7 Sports has its portal up with pretty good information on who's in there. There are a lot more kids in the transfer portal than there are eligible scholarships right now. And I feel like we're seeing situations where for some guys, like it makes plenty of sense to leave because, you know, you're not going to get a chance to play. But I think that there we need to figure something out. And I don't really know how we could do it, but I think the portal's designed and intended to do this. I just don't know that it's doing a very good job of it where the kids need to know what's available to them before they make this decision. Now they could pull themselves back, but it also a lot of places, once you're in, they could pull your scholarship and they can move on and be done with you. And plenty of schools or coaches probably going to want to do that, especially if it's somebody who's, you know, third or fourth on the depth chart at their position. It doesn't look like they've got a legit legitimate passage to starting anytime soon. So I, I worry about the kids that get lost in the churn because we know all about like the, the, the high profile guys for moving on to starting roles at other power five schools or other G five schools. But it's all like those low three stars that are just kind of getting lost and maybe having to go to the FCS level or just not finding places at all. I, I worry about that kind of impact in the long term. So I, I'm very pro player. I mean, as, as I, I think, you know, you guys are as, as, as well. Um, 
But if we're going to give these guys the freedom to transfer, we have to give them the freedom to make mistakes. And some of these dudes drastically overestimate how good they are. Uh, and they're willing to take that risk to get to the NFL. A lot of these guys don't see college as a thing they value, right? They see the chance to play college football as a way to get to the NFL, and they don't necessarily care about the schooling element that much. And, and they think, hey, if I'm not getting playing time here, maybe like I, I got to go somewhere where I can play because I have such a short window to be able to impress the NFL scouts to be able to get to the league. I I hear what Tom's saying, and and our, our Chris Hummer has done really good work on this, writing about what what he calls uh, portal purgatory, where you're just out there. They've pulled your scholarship because that's the deal. Like if you jump in the transfer portal, the school can yank it. Like like Tom said, I mean, you get to finish out the semester you're in, which is why a lot of guys jump, you know, the, the day their classes start, so they actually get that final semester of safety. Uh, but I look, man, it's just kind of a, a, a downside. Like if you want more freedom of movement, you can't force the other schools to take you. But has, I, I think it is a concern. Has it uh, altered the? I believe that there's probably still tampering in the same way that there's probably impermissible benefits, but has it changed the tampering game at all? Just because it, it it brings above board the idea for contact, the idea that I can return to my team, but I also can be contacted by this coach. I'm a, I'm, you know, very much uh, putting out a flyer that says uh, interested and open, like the old Facebook status from like 2006, you know, like (laughs) you could, you could definitely, like signal uh, what you're interested in. And I, I think that, you know, not that tampering was ever the scourge of college football or anything like that, but I, I got to think that it's changed at least some of um, that aspect of the, of the transfer as it was before the portal. I still think a lot of these guys know where they're going. And generally it's just kind of like a double check. It's like, all right, I know I'm going to go here. I know the school wants me. The, the tampering goes on all the time. It's really hard to prove. You have your director of high school relations or a coach that knows your private quarterback coach, and you know you, you contact him. It's like, oh, where will this five star go? And everybody's like, oh, he'd be a great fit here. He'd be a great fit there. And, and the recruiting industry is like, no, he's going to Ohio State. Like we, we we already know that like their coaching staff is is, is tight with this private quarterback coach, and like this has been prearranged and that that type of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think it for the guys who genuinely don't know where they want to go, it gives them the opportunity to survey their landscape a little bit if their school can take them back. But otherwise you're kind of, you're out there with no rope. If My, my favorites are like the players that announced they're transferring and like 36 hours later, they've, they're announcing where they're going. It's like, all right, come on. Just, <laughs> yeah. If I'm the coach at that school, I'm like, all right, cool. Just wait like th- a couple more days. Just don't make it so blatantly obvious. Or the ones who announce where they're going before yes. they put their paperwork in, which means technically like they're not yes. even allowed to be contacted because some of these kids don't really get it. And like some of their trainers and advisors who should not be advisors in any way don't really get it either. And they're like, just just tweet out that you're in the transfer portal. And it's like, that's not how it works. This is an actual thing you need to spend some paperwork for, right? Um, you know, like you can't just declare for the draft without actually declaring for the draft. Uh, kind declare of the same concept. Bankruptcy. Like, yeah, <laughs> yes. Damn it, I missed it. Yes. Um, all right. Well, if you're the coach, all right, because the if if you're pro player, one thing that uh, I've I've sort of followed and and still believe at least a little bit is that. Coaches are being asked, you know, they're, they're being paid a lot, a lot's being asked of them, and coaches are now um, 
in addition to recruiting high school players, there's more pressure on them to recruit their active roster. You know, you don't need like to, to make sure everyone's buying in, to have a relationship with them. You're also being put in a position where you're recruiting the transfer portal at the same time. If, if you are a head coach, do you like this new era? Uh, yes and no. I think that it is a headache in that it gives me something else that I have to worry about. But I think like we've seen, programs with the resources to do so are kind of adapting to it where they're hiring people who pretty much, you know, they're analysts, assistants, um, they're on the coaching staff, but their primary role is to, you know, keep track of the transfer portal as well as, you know, it's, it's like a whole, it's basically high school recruiting. It's like its own separate department at this point. But I think that as far as the head coach, it kind of depends on your situation. I think that if you're, established maybe and you've got kind of a system going it's not as a big of a deal I think maybe if you're a new coach coming into a new school and you want to win right away I think the transfer portal is a bonus to you because it gives you access to players who you know you, if you're trying to you don't have to completely overhaul and rebuild your program that you're taking over and then wait on a bunch of freshmen and sophomores to become juniors and seniors to where you can win and by that time you're in year three and the Patience is already wearing thin with you in the fan base and with the boosters. So it gives you a chance to come out and be strong right away. But as far as once you're going, yeah, I, I think that if I'm a coach, it's like, man, I got to spend all this time worrying about who I'm bringing in as the next play, you know, my next team, my next class, my next players. You're already here. <laughs> I don't, I, I should only have to worry about developing you and making sure you're ready for Saturday. I shouldn't have to worry about making sure that you're super happy and you're not going to be leaving me anytime soon. But again, coaches' salaries keep rising and the higher they get, the more responsibility that's going to come along with it. I, yeah, I, I would agree with Tom there. Um, I think there is one implication. If you are a particularly hard-ass coach, Right. And a guy who's like very old school and we, we're all thinking of some right now. I think if you're already established like that, you can continue to do that for a while because like you're going to recruit a certain type of player for whom that works. And I don't know that you're going to care about continuing to recruit your own roster, although you should certainly care about communicating to your players that the path and the plan that you had for them is still on track, especially if the kid's not getting early playing time. Hey, look, man, this is exactly what you need to work on. We see you making a big leap in this next semester or two, and you're going to be getting on the field for us, you know, soon-ish, just not right this second. But I do think if you're an AD and you're and you're out there right now, I don't know how well hiring a new head coach who's a real like not player-friendly head coach is going to work in this era. You need to make sure that people are actually enjoying their college experience because now they have options. When they didn't have options before, and it was really punitive to transfer because you would lose a year of eligibility which is kind of insane to put non-competes on non-employees personally, I think, but uh, like you didn't have to worry about that as much. Now I think that approach won't work. I also think to Tom's point, under, like let's understand what is and, and is not available in the transfer portal. Transfer portal so far, the evidence shows us that it is absolutely really great for plugging holes on your roster, but not with superstar talent, right? We've not had a transfer player other than quarterback, which I'll get to in a second, go in the first round in the last three years. We might have one this year in Jalen Phillips. But, you know, I think there were some non-football reasons why, why he transferred from UCLA to Miami. And he was the number one overall player in the recruiting rankings. So the guy clearly had some some pretty freakish talent back in 2017. Um, quarterback, though, you can seem to get a difference maker because oftentimes coaches pick the wrong QB. 
or they put too much into like, uh, like uh, what's the word? Like basically like they're biased as to keeping it the same, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, like they're having to overcome that bias. So they pick the wrong guy sometimes. Um, but you can definitely fill it whole. I just don't think you're going to win a national championship building your roster around transfers. You might win one building it around a transfer if that guy is at the quarterback position. I don't want to be the coach who's doing the transfer portal gamble every year. I don't want to have part of my roster off-season plan to be like, yeah, we're going to lose three or four guys, but we're going to get three or four guys too. Like that's That seems to me like you are going to never have the opportunity to truly level up to where you've got um, competitive depth and development within the program that's going to allow you to compete for championships. Like that's, and it, and I think there's some coaches that especially Tom, to your point, like when you first get hired and you've just got to, there's going to be some players that are leaving because there was a coaching change. You need to, to get some people in right away. But I think that making the transfer portal as just sort of part of your roster management plan is uh, is a very dicey proposition when it comes to continuity and when it comes to trying to build like year over year program building. Yeah. And I mean, I had a, pretty good seat to you know at illinois lovey smith over the final years of his tenure there was kind of trying to use the transfer portal as more heavily than you know actually recruiting high schoolers like they were using it kind of as a crutch a little too much to try to fill too many holes in the roster thinking that you know we could fix the team we can improve the team this way and they did get some key transfers that really did help it's just there's a ceiling to what that can do. And we saw what, you know, the end result of it was for Lovey Smith and that Illinois staff. Mm, indeed. Um, why do you think is, is it a simple numbers thing? Only one guy can be on the field. Only one guy can have the ball in his hands. Like why, why the, the quarterback position is not only where we end up talking about it a lot, but also where you do find the examples of success. I mean, just what just last season is, is Derek King, the, the banner for that we've seen obviously transfer quarterbacks win daggum Heisman trophies, but I'm talking about, you know, just in the past 2020 season, um, like Derek King, probably the, the best transfer quarterback of last year. Yeah. Either him or, or Bruchelle, right? I I think it was King. Yeah. Um, I think with the quarterback position, look, leadership matters, but I do think coaches can sort of, overweight what they know and, and what they trust as opposed to other positions. I think largely the more talented guy wins out more often. And so I think that like, like you may have greater certainty in what you're getting at other spots, but like think about some of these, these quarterbacks that have won Heisman trophies or, you know, taking their teams to the playoff. They lost out on, on the starting job. Joe Burrow got beaten out by Dwayne Haskins, mm-hmm. right? Jake Fromm did not lose his job to Justin Fields. Jalen Hurts lost his job to Tua. Now, that one was a smart one. But, like, the other ones, I think you can argue maybe, maybe not. And, like, maybe the, maybe it wasn't clear or maybe they wanted to go with the guy for whatever reason. Um, I think you can find some some real real finds at QB. Uh, of course, there's, there's plenty of misses there, too. Yeah, and one thing, it's <clears> – <throat> I think one of the funny things I've always found with like the transfer portal, kind of going back to what we were talking about a minute ago, is with the way fan bases react to transfers. In that, as soon as a player enters the transfer portal, it's because you know you twenty four seven sports has the you know they they re rate 
a lot of the transfers. Like if you go look at their transfer portal section, you'll see this guy was a four star coming out of high school, but now he's like a mid three star as far as the transfer portal is concerned. But in the eyes of fans, like a transfer is always a five star. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, did you see that? Like, like we're getting this three star safety for like a high three star safety from Alabama. This guy is going to be great. He's awesome. And it's like you have to remember, like, yeah, Alabama may be a bad example because there are plenty of really good players who might get passed up on the depth chart by, you know, first round draft picks and say, well, I'm a fifth rounder. I'm going to go somewhere else so I could actually play. But the, the point is, it's like you, you see this reaction from fan base is like, Oh, this kid's transferring. He's automatically good because I've seen him before. I've never seen this high schooler, but I know this guy got, got a scholarship and he was on a good team. So he must be good. It's like, you need to temper expectations. And there are, and I think part of it is like, you see the Derek Kings, you see the Shane Bouchelles, you see the Joe Burrows, you see like the Kyler Murray's, these guys that work out really well. And it's like, that guy is the exception. There are for every one of those guys, there's roughly 775 dudes who are perfectly adequate players on FBS rosters, you know, on the two deep, maybe some of them are putting it, you know, starting games regularly. Some of them are just depth and all that kind of stuff. So it's like it's it's always interesting to me to see how people react to transfers. Because most of your guys who are going to be really, really superstar players are good enough to start where they yeah. are. And if you're starting, you're happy. That's or, or you've gone to the NFL. You're not looking to transfer. <laughs> yeah, or you got one year left. And it's like, right, there's really no point in me transferring. I have one year left. I might as well just stick it out here where I know I fit their system. I'm doing well, obviously, because I'm going to the NFL. Yeah, that, that's... I think we nailed it there. I think that you um, need to find... If you're going to... To put it back in the headspace of the fan, you, you better be dealing with like a personal... It, not a personal issue. Like I would never like wish for a personal issue, but I know some of the players that are in this particular transfer class, it's, I wanted to be closer to home or, you know, something like didn't work out from an off field. Like there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with uh, the talent level of some players. It's just, there was something else at play. And that's the only thing that you can hang your hat on when it comes to like really leveling up. Right. So like I, I did our transfer ratings last year for 24-7 sports uh, along with, with Barton who helped me look it over when I was done with it. And like I talked to all the coaches about about like where these guys were leaving or at least the, to the, the dudes who covered the team who talked to the coaches. And I also tried to talk to as many as I could where the where the kids were going to kind of get the full picture. Right. And there was one kid who I was like, all right, what? this kid's pretty good. Like, why is he leaving? Like, was he going to get passed up? And Coach told me no. He just ran out of drug test. He can fail here. Like like the ki the kid just loves weed, and like if you transfer your your weed test reset. Like the, the you know, so like your whatever back your strengths zero. are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're you're gonna go right. back to a clean slate. Exactly. Like no, we're we're pissed to lose him, but like we know he was gonna get suspended here. So you know. So just coaches, go find the guys that are about to run out of weed strikes, and you can go that's, get yourself an open box special. <laughs> That's the new recruiting inefficiency. Barton, if you're listening, <laughs> we found an edge. Does does Nashville have uh, is, is Nashville we like like we we are, are they cool with it? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think, think so. so. I'm guessing Tennessee, uh, I don't know. Considering Tennessee just you know the Senate there just passed a bill that would get kids kicked off the team for protesting. I'm going to say they're probably not legalized weed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would guess not. They, they threw they threw me a curveball with sports betting, but uh, I don't think they're there with uh with marijuana. Uh, legalization yet coming up on the other side looking at some of those big names and also the teams that have been able to be big winners so far in the transfer portal next
The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. So I'm a father of what? I gotta find a babysitter. I found care.com and I was blown away. Through the platform, I was able to find local and experienced candidates along with their reviews and rates, which were way more affordable than I anticipated. Care.com really put me at ease knowing that they were all required to go through a background check. If you're like me and you need to find someone reliable for your childcare necessities, check out care.com. Find the ideal sitters for your childcare needs. Uh, so we mentioned the the personal uh, side. There's you know sort of different steps along the way, but uh, to me, like when we're talking about the the teams that have significantly upgraded their personnel through transfers, is it is there anybody that y'all would put above Florida right now? And and I know that I'm doing that just with two offensive weapons, but when we think about the number of skill position players that are leaving from that Dan Mullen offense, including quarterback Kyle Trask. But to be able to get Eric Gilbert from LSU, five-star top 10 player in his class, to be able to get Demarcus Bowman, somebody who, when he first showed up on campus, Dabo Sweeney was talking about him and throwing out CJ Spiller comparisons. Like That, to me, is a great starting point where we can say, if you're looking for a non-quarterback who can have significant impact on a team Gilbert and Bowman and what they do for that Florida offense feels like one of the the big storylines of transfers so far uh, here in early 2021. Here, here, I have a question for you, bud, because I would agree, Chip. I think that that's pretty much going to be the top as far as landing transfers this year, because like you, you mentioned that you did the recruit, the rankings for transfer recruits last year, both Bowman and Gilbert, who were five stars out of high school, are still five stars in the transfer portal. Have there ever been two other five-star transfers available? Uh, not not at the non-quarterback position. Mm. Uh, we, we, we certainly had some five-star you know QBs before, like Justin Fields. I'm pretty sure was was still a five-star when he transferred. Um, and you know, Tom, a lot of times, like we only had 18 four-star or better players in mm. this transfer portal. So I, I think that really reflects what we see through the draft, which is where you can you can get good depth. You can get good contributors. You can get a lot of certainty, right? These guys know how to work out. They know how to show up. They know how to lift. They know how to eat. They know how to go to practice. They know how to go to class. Like there's some certainty, especially in this pandemic time, that college coaches value. And they're willing to sacrifice a little bit of upside to get a whole lot of floor, especially you know, like that quote that one of the coaches gave me was, why am I maybe going to make a four-year mistake when I could take a kid who I already know can play via the portal? We talked about that on know, signing recruits. day. It was one of the reasons yeah. why there's a, a lot of scholarships available at some of these schools. So for, for Gilbert, I, I don't think there's any argument to drop him. I mean, he was our, our highest rated 
tight end recruit ever in 24-7 sports. He was immediately one of the better pass catchers in the SEC, despite the fact that the rest of LSU's offense was eh, kind of <laughs> iffy at times. <laughs> you know, uh, and and we know he'll be used well at Florida because of what they just did with with Kyle Pitts. I think with Bowman, it's a little bit different. I, I, I can certainly see an argument for making him a four, like a high four, uh, or leaving him five, ultimately left him as a five. I don't think he anticipated Travis Etienne coming back. And he also had some family stuff that, that happened, I believe, a death in the family. So he wanted to go back closer to home to Lakeland. And he hasn't been injured. I don't think there's really anything that would make you believe that his abilities have diminished. And I, he might start there. Like there's not a whole lot of difference makers at the running back position for UF. So I, I would say they're a clear one um, for me as well. And they also got some not nice uh, – Nice help on the on the interior defensive line with with Shelton mm-hmm. and Daquan Newkirk. Shelton following that uh, Justin Shorter map. It's like Justin Shorter's getting out of there, and uh, and he's he's still there in Gainesville. Yeah. Like he should be taken with with the exodus of um, skill position talent. Like Trevon Grimes is going to be out. Like he should he should start to see a little bit more, and he flashed a little bit near the end of the season. Florida fans were, were not happy with the rating that I put on uh, Justin Shorter and also um, the running back they got last year from Miami. But those two guys didn't really do much for them this year. No. And part of that was because they, they were blocked out of the position some, but also in some of the issues that Shorter had uh, at Penn State were issues that we were a little bit worried about as a recruit, right? Like catching the ball and getting open. Um, I mean, he's big and fast, but can you actually consistently catch the ball? Uh, they mostly threw him kind of bubble screen stuff at Florida this year and, and let him work with the ball in his hands, which Dan Mullen does a tremendous job of getting guys in space. And I think that was a valuable use, but I'll be interested to see if he can take that next step. Um, yeah. But ultimately, I mean, Florida has done a good Lorenzo Lingard. Thanks Coca. Uh, the, the running back for Miami. That was a situation where Florida was really excited to get Lingard, but Miami was telling me, eh, he was playing fullback at practice some, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's not the same dude after his injury. We'll, we'll see how he bounces back. I always liked Lorenzo a lot, covering him as a recruit, you know, here in the state. But Florida's had a nice, you know, history of success with transfers under Dan Mullen. You know, Jonathan Grenard, Brenton Cox, Van Jefferson, Van Jefferson Trevon Grimes, Stuart Reese was a solid contributor for them this year, and I believe is back as a super senior. So, um, I mean, definitely they were the number one. There's really only only one other team I think you can say would have given them a run for the money. Who? Uh, Tennessee. Tennessee so, for taking players in? Or excuse me, sorry, not Tennessee. My, my bad. Uh, that would Oklahoma. Be, that would be the yeah. other way. Yeah, Oklahoma t- taking advantage of Tennessee. Yes, correct. Yeah, my bad. Uh, excuse me, guys. Yeah, o- Oklahoma was the only team to sign uh, three or more four-star transfers this year. So they were my number two team when I did the write-up for the you know the, the teams that did the best job in the portal. What's uh, what does that look like for Oklahoma's Hall? Who's sta- who do you, who do you like from it? So Eric Gray. Uh, who was a really good running back for the Vols. Uh, I I was super impressed with Gray because all all season I wrote about how Tennessee's offensive approach was just ridiculous. I mean, they they would just run the ball in first down every time, and defenses knew it, and yet Gray still managed to uh, to be kind of productive, which was crazy considering how much teams were loading up against the run because they knew uh, that – you know, Pruitt was coaching as a head coach as a DC. Um, so him in Oklahoma's offense, I, I've seen him catch the ball well in seven on seven before. I think he has some potential you can unlock there. We know he's a tough runner. I think he'll be good there. Uh, Wanye Morris was a freshman All-American in 2019. I know that doesn't mean a ton because a lot of that's just how much that you play and are you kind of famous. But 
he was a solid player in 19, wasn't quite as good this year. I think he, he dealt with some issues of not being around as much in the offseason due to COVID. Uh, but athletically, we don't see a whole lot of guys who are that big and can move that much, and he has some experience. So I, I think OU does a great job coaching offensive linemen with Bill Biedenbaugh there. That makes sense to keep him as a four. And then safety, Key Lawrence, uh, he, he dropped a little bit, but he's still a four-star. Uh, he was a freshman at Tennessee this year. He follows his buddies out there to Oklahoma, and then they added a couple of other three stars as well. So their, their haul is is very, very nice. Damn, Lincoln Riley's a savage. Just out here. Open, hey, we'll send. Hey, listen, I talked to my friends at Memphis. We'll send a party bus to come get you. Like, we will come, <laughs> and we will pick you up, and we will bring you to Norman uh, to be able to capitalize on that. Uh, we mentioned, so Oklahoma uh, lost wide receiver Charleston Rambo, who ends up going to Miami. Miami has uh, not just one super senior, but two super, with uh, one of them being Derek King, who obviously uh, came over, but also another, they've got another one, uh, Jared Williams, right? The offensive lineman. Yeah, who's, and he came in, he was a, a transfer as well. So Oklahoma, uh, Miami gets Charleston Rambo. They also get Tyreek Stevenson, from Georgia, the Manny Diaz has a Hurricanes team that is very much. You know, we just looked at you know Quincy Roche. We just looked at Jalen Phillips. Both of them gone. Miami's starting to become one of those kind of schools, right? Yeah, I mean, look, Manny Diaz was an early adopter of the transfer portal. He's he's been all about it. I, I think he's done a really nice job with it. As you mentioned, getting Charleston Rambo. You know, look, Rambo was a pretty good player for them in, in 2019. In 2020, COVID, injury, that, that type of thing. Uh, 2020 was a hard year to evaluate. We talked about this on the show a couple of times, but it's like, all right, was this guy, did he all of a sudden lose his ability or did he just get hurt? What were the situations here? I think he'll be good in that offense. Miami definitely needs better receiver play, as we've spoken about a couple of times. Tyreek Stevenson, who was a kind of a jack-of-all-trades for Georgia, I think he'll look forward to getting to play more just regular corner for Miami, one of the most athletic players in the country. And then they get a pass rusher out of Tennessee, and this is going to be a common theme here. Tennessee lost some dudes uh, who we gave an 82 grade to. I think that's probably fair, but he could be he could be a guy who maybe could exceed that for them at the end of Manny Diaz's defense, I think. The biggest is – so for this year for quarterbacks – one of the biggest headlines is going to be, speaking of uh, Miami, is going to be at Florida State where we've got Mackenzie Milton. And Danny was on here uh, discussing the the leadership and everything that, that he's going to be able to bring and the fact that also Mike Norvell is really working to to use some of these transfers uh, right now to to address some spots. Like, I mean, is the, is the, the roster right now when Mike Norvell's going to the transfer portal outside of the quarterback position because McKenzie Milton with full health could be really special. Like McKenzie Milton uh, at full health is a, a unique talent at quarterback in college football with the other transfers that Florida state's bringing in. Do y'all see that more as filling out depth or is he really like addressing needs where these guys are going to be coming in and counted on in a big way to be playing significant starter snaps and, and be primary contributors. I'd put the over-under at new starters from transfers at like five. Wow. Wow. I mean, like they they really don't think some of these guys on our team can play. And they want like they like I think that's not good. I would think that that's not a great sign for Florida oh, State. Yeah. 
No, and, and they like they very clearly traded the certainty you were getting. I mean, like Keir Thomas is a, a solid, productive SEC defensive lineman from South Carolina, right? Jamie Robinson, the same. Like he's, you know, probably an upper half safety in the SEC. Not a great player, but somebody who they they believe they can come in and count on, and, and they they expect to start. I think they hope to get one starter at corner out of Brandon Moore and, and Jarquez McClellan, right? The the UCF and Arkansas kid. I think Jermaine Johnson starts for them at, as a pass rusher on the defensive line. They, they went out and they, I think they feel like they, they got a lot of really solid players there. Um, but I, I don't think that they're fooled into thinking they've got tremendous upside. You know, they're, they're just trying to get back to a bowl game this year. Dang. You know, I, I don't expect any kind of huge jump on the field at this point, but with Milton, it's interesting because this staff came from Memphis yeah, and they Milton tore them up multiple times. Like they, they know what, what he can do. I think they respect him as a competitor a whole lot. Clearly, if he was 100% healthy, he wouldn't be in the transfer portal because he'd be in the league. You know, I'm not saying he's gonna be a first, like he would be a first-round pick given his size limitations, but like he would not be available for a Florida State team that just went, you know, five and seven, six and six, three and five if he didn't come with some questions. He just happened to fall into their lap, uh, and they, I'm sure, you know, I, I think he respects Mike Norvell's offense a whole lot too, having played against it in 2016 to 2018. Um, and seeing what it can do for quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, right. It's true. What's like uh, white? I mean, mm-hmm. any uh, any other teams that have really stood out in terms of their uh, their action? Jaden Lars Woodby was Florida State, right? Now he's at Boston College. Yeah, he just it was really never the same player after the injuries. Yeah, that was that, that was interesting. I, I he was pretty productive as a freshman, and then the last two years just didn't seem to have that same pop. Um, and, and same burst. So I, I do hope he gets healthy. He's, 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 I think he can be a good player again. Um, I think UCLA did a nice job overall. Like they get, they get Zach, you know, Zach Charbonnet from um, Michigan, from Michigan, like yeah, Tom like Charbonnet. Yeah. Yeah. That, and they clearly will give a back some carries. Felton last year got a ton of, I mean, it was a short season, but he got about a full season's worth of carries in only seven games. Um, they took a pair of defensive backs from FCS slash G5. Uh, or, well, Old Dominion is not FCS anymore, never mind. But uh, uh, Ford, Dement, and Johnson, I, I think that one of those two guys could start for them. And they, they kind of made a bet on a quarterback in Ethan Garbers from Washington, who, who I know they liked coming out of high school. He hit the transfer portal, and uh, we, we think he still has some upside. So UCLA did well, Penn State, USC. Uh, there's a lot of teams that I think did a really nice job of filling out rosters and filling holes uh, but also there's just not that much crazy upside talent in the portal right now yeah I, I mean I don't think if you look at their overall class one of the I, this is more of a one-player deal to me although they did get Will Levis from Penn State but I think getting Wandale Robinson from Nebraska is huge for Kentucky if they are you know capable of figuring out how to use him because like having watched Nebraska the last few years it has been a bad team with a lot of problems but Wandale Robinson was not the problem. Wandale Robinson is a very good player who I think that for a Kentucky offense that, you know, last year and the year before kind of stagnant at times, didn't really have explosive kind of playmakers who could break things open every time they touched the ball. I think Robinson can be that guy and he's so versatile. He, you know, you can use him in the backfield that you can line him up at receiver. You could put him all over the, <clears throat> all over the place. So I think having that kind of talent in their offense could go a long way for them this year. So just based on that one player alone, I feel like Kentucky had an excellent transfer portal off season. Kentucky would, would has shown us that they only need one player. 
That's what I'm saying. They'll build a whole it, daggum offense around one player. Um, Mike Jones Jr. Uh, is at who? LSU. At LSU. <laughs> um, and Call. now we've got, uh, do you know the number? Oh, shoot. I just know no. 8004 oh. is the end. <laughs> I can't. I can't roll it right off my tongue. Oh, but, we're, we're, we're gonna get so many two stars because of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, hey, listen, he'll uh, he'll be he'll be closer in uh, in Louisiana than he was in South Carolina to uh, the home of Mike Jones himself. Maybe he can uh, he can pick up that phone number and, and hit him on the text. the the number the the number one like big question mark is back from Tennessee, and it's Henry Toto, who was um, as soon as he popped onto the scene, it was very obvious that uh, he was going to be a real game changer and somebody who could you know, be like a star, like the, the best defensive player. And those high-impact linebackers, uh, you know, he was uh, in as a freshman, he flashed, but then as a sophomore, he was the, the best player on that defense. He's expected to be a, an NFL player, and I have no idea which way – uh, he's leaning on this one. So what, like, ha- how do you judge your expectations? What's, what's the crystal ball saying for Henry Toto? Because I would argue that, so quarterbacks obviously in a whole nother position, but you mentioned Jalen Phillips. If we're going to use the old, like what positions really matter? Defensive line, clearly in the, in the game of football, high value position. And a game-changing, versatile linebacker has got to be up there with a single player who can change the face of your defense. Where Where's he going, and is he really going to be as much of an impact as the fans of whatever school he commits to are going to be talking like they got, like, uh, a Bidnarik Award winner or, you know, like the, the best defensive player in college football. Do you think that he will be able to have a, a major impact, and where do we think he might end up? Well, this team has really needed some good news for a long time, and they're, I think they're finally going to get it. It's uh, it's Alabama. What? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, quoting from Hank South here, February 10th, 10th of BamaOnline.com, who interviewed uh, Henry's father, uh, Lese, uh, quote, Pete Golding and Coach Nick Saban, they've been reaching out. Well, I can't speak for Henry, I know – all of our discussions, he wants to stay in the SEC. And I think he's leaning towards Alabama. I mean, heavily leaning towards Alabama. Continuing here. All the other SEC schools reached out to him too. But one thing that we talked about was that we chose Tennessee the first time when we should have came to Alabama. So let's not make that mistake twice. Even more. I got more respect for Coach Saban now, at least he said. Coach Saban is a man of his word. He's truly about the player. And the reason why I say that is he advised Henry to wait until April comes around because the NCAA one-time transfer rule hasn't passed yet. It was supposed to pass in January, the day after the national title, and it didn't. They set it back on the table until April. And Coach Saban told us to wait until April. And if this thing passes, uh, he was like, there's one more hurdle, which is the SEC needs to pass in-conference transfers also. For him to do that, I've got a newfound level of respect for the man. He's one of those guys that truly, for his players, I told Henry, uh, why not play for a man that's looking out for your best interests? Uh, we'll probably sit down and talk with Coach Saban again and see what he feels is best for Henry. Like I said, Coach Saban's advice is he thinks Henry is gone after this year to the NFL. He told her, if you can come to us and play the way you're playing, your NFL grade is going to be high. I would encourage you after this year to leave, if that's the case. It's so, a RISAP. This is done. I, I think this is based like – and I will say that Henry's dad was pretty heavily involved in his recruitment the first time. So I would say the, hey, like let's not make that same mistake twice quote is 
is noteworthy. Uh, Al- uh, silly, silly me to not uh, pull up his recruiting profile uh, prior prior to this podcast because I was I mean I just speak so glowingly about him from having watched watching him play I forgot that Alabama was right there with Tennessee when the first decision was made coming out of high school uh, there's also like probably 600 more words of quotes here saying how great Nick Saban is also how much we love Pete Golding and uh, that shooting down rumors that Henry's going to come back to the west coast so that's it. All time. This feels like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, Coca in the chat, 281-330-8004. Boomers. We're getting flamed yeah. by the youngs. <laughs> How old is Coca? Like over under before he tells us. Do you guys Coca's know? Coca's 27. No, he just had his 30th birthday. Was that your, that was his 30th? Mm-hmm. Can Coca call us boomers if we're only five years older than him? Coca's old as hell. How old is Chip? <laughs> 33. Okay. Look, you can't call Chip a boomer if you're only 30 and Chip's 33. Nah, the uh, the Gen Z told me to Hufflepuff my ass on out of here with a crying <laughs> face emoji. Chip's still, still trying to rock that side part in skinny jeans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, still, still got the side part in skinny jeans. That's a mom TikTok thing, by the way, I, I learned from my wife. Yeah. So, yeah, the side part in skinny jeans are out. Yeah, the, boyfriend jeans and middle part are in. Let me, so let me write that down. Boyfriend yeah. jeans and uh, golden goose shoes. It's the look of everybody who's uh, who's mad that uh, you actually have to keep your mask on when you order your drink inside at brunch. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Um, all right, before we uh, before we get out of here, the, uh, were there any other like players or teams so far that uh, that, that we haven't hit on here? There's one more I think we should probably talk about. It's it's Doug Nestor go, going to West Virginia uh, from Virginia Tech, one of the better offensive linemen in the country. Just a, a continued exodus, really, from from the Hokies, man. That I I don't know. I I, I really wonder, like, if we weren't in the pandemic, would, would the Hokies have made a move? Because that, that's a nice get for uh, for the Mountaineers. If we if we weren't in the pandemic. And Would if, they have made a move on on Fuente? Fuente, because <clears throat> their recruiting is terrible. Their recruiting like they, is terrible. They were in what the sixties. Shane Beamer was out there. Shane Beamer was out there. Maybe that's why they didn't make a move because their boosters w- would have wanted to hire Shane Beamer. That's Maybe. that might be some really savvy oh, ading yeah. by uh, by Whit Babcock right there. If just just knowing Evil what would happen. Evil genius, Whit Babcock. So I I do think that it is important to remember that. Virginia Tech in 2019 was one win away from playing for the ACC championship. It didn't feel like that, like around the team. It didn't feel like they were an ACC championship caliber team. But the problem was that one win that they didn't get was breaking a 10-year winning streak against their rival UVA and allowing that to happen ain't great. And that there were times, like remember they had the delayed start and so you you missing like half your coaching staff and du- double digit players, almost two dozen at one point, And they started the year looking really good. I don't know. I just, I think the, the bottom kind of fell out and things got a little shaky uh, after the strong start. If they'd been flat out bad through the whole season, then maybe they had done it, but they were good there for a minute. I, I can agree with that. Offensive line was rolling. It was like until that shootout loss to North Carolina, it kind of felt like, Virginia Tech was going to be one of the better teams in the in the ACC. Could contend, 
not necessarily with the Clemson or Notre Dame, but at least to potentially be in that North Carolina, Miami mix. So there was enough good stuff, I think, not to uh, make a move on Fuente. But without a doubt, Fuente is one of these coaches who does seem to shrug his shoulders at losing lots of players to the transfer portal. He seems, as you mentioned, to be shrugging his shoulders at recruiting high schoolers and high school recruiting rankings. And Doug Nestor, a part of that great Virginia Tech offensive line, good pickup for Neil Brown and West Virginia without a doubt. Coming up later in the week, we will be diving into the big old bag of mail. So if you want to get in on that, make sure that you leave us a five-star rating, a review, and within that review, put your question. We will add it to the mailbag for a future episode. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.